Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. Hello, today's podcast will be a little bit different than usual. We have recorded a conversation between Charles Grant, the director of the Center for European Reform, and Jean Pisani-Ferry, who came to the CER to talk about his new paper on a possible continental partnership in the future between the UK and the EU post-Brexit. Enjoy the conversation and as always, subscribe to us on iTunes for regular updates of the CER podcast. And if you want to join the conversation with your own comments, tweet us at CER underscore London, hashtag CER podcast. Here's Charles Grant and Jean Pisani-Ferry. Well, I'd like to welcome Jean Pisani-Ferry, a very eminent French academic and the founder of the Bruegel think tank and one of the authors of an interesting new paper from Bruegel. Jean, if I get your thesis correctly, you're proposing a future relationship between Britain and the EU called a continental partnership. The British would be in the single market, they would uh, pay some money into the EU budget, they would have to accept the jurisdiction of something related to the European Court of Justice, but they would be allowed to restrict free movement in some ways. They would be consulted on new EU laws but not have a vote on them. And other countries, in addition to Britain, such as Turkey or Ukraine, could conceivably be part of the same continental partnership. It would be an outer ring for the European Union. Is that basically your, your thesis? Well, Britain would be outside the EU. That's uh, the starting point. And then we, we thought, what kind of, of template can we have for the long-term uh, relationship between the UK uh, and uh, the EU? Um, and the, the, the aim is first to to preserve uh, economic integration because to destroy this integration would be extremely costly for both sides. Uh, then uh, to uh, preserve also the fact that uh, being part of the same continent, we have some common interest uh, regionally and, and globally. Um, uh, and, um, and finally also to offer uh, some sort of solution, uh, perspective to other countries that are not part of the EU, that are not going to join the EU, uh, but uh, that also uh, would wish to keep a, a strong relationship with, with the EU and be part of a sort of partnership. I'm thinking of the uh, currently the, the EEA partners like Norway, like uh, Switzerland, but also countries like uh, Turkey, uh, conditions, political condition being there, or, or the Ukraine. So in the long run, what kind of arrangements do we wish to have on the on the continent? So that's just the kind of perspective we were offering, and and definitely it's not uh, a sort of quick fix for the negotiation. Uh, actually, the paper was not well received uh, by various governments, including the government I work for. Uh, I did it in a personal capacity um, because it's not uh, really a response to the question of the negotiation. It's to to define a goal for the longer term and then you can work back uh, by you know what uh, what kind of steps you can consider what i like about the paper is it, it it attempts to put forward an economically optimal solution both to the british to keep them economically integrated and to the 27 other member states who would still benefit from britain being close to their own economies in terms of trade and investment so economically it's rational the trouble is of course that we live in a political world and certainly in britain uh, the politics would prevent us, I think, going down this road in the short term. I'm not sure British people all want to pay into the European budget or accept uh, the purview of the European Court of Justice. And of course, as you rightly said, in the continent, people don't like the idea that it would allow the British to have their cake and eat it. It would allow the British to stay in the single market and restrict free movement 
and I certainly picked up in the, the, the capital where you work, Paris, the idea that if you allow that kind of situation, Marine Le Pen could benefit. She could point to the Brits and say, look, they're doing okay outside the EU. They're not in the EU, but they can restrict free movement. Why don't we go there too? There are huge political obstacles. So do you, to, to your thesis, do you think that in the long run, if not, as you say, during the negotiation, that there could be a way of persuading both the British and indeed the 27 and others to support this idea of continental partnership? In the short term, uh, everybody has a, a strong reason for, for being very tough. And so putting red lines everywhere and uh, saying, you know, on the, on the one side in the UK, we don't want any uh, supranational jurisdiction, we don't want to pay into the budget, and on the EU side, uh, the four freedoms are indivisible and uh, um, there is no way you can access a single market be, without being really completely part of it. Um, in sort of the, you know, as the discussion develops, uh, perhaps uh, on various sides uh, you will come to the realization that there is an interest in, as I said, preserving, uh, preserving integration, uh, not at least uh, you know destroying links that exist. Uh, that means you know value chains. That means uh, companies operating on both sides of the channel. Uh, so there is uh, there is significant uh, potential for for destroying business and prosperity. Um, the uh, what we're saying here, you know, the um, paying into the budget. Why? Well, it may look odd to not to be part of the EU and still to be paying into the budget. Uh, you have to realize that uh, uh, from the point of view of a number of member states, the, the integration within the single market gave access to the markets uh, to companies from you know, more advanced countries. I'm thinking, for example, of the, of the uh, new member states. Um, and uh, at, the, at the quid pro quo, there was uh, the mobility of labor, but there was also a contribution to the budget that uh, um, finances structural funds that are an instrument for catching up in, in these countries for investment, equipment, etc. So the logic uh, of, the, uh, of, uh, of the EU involves um, market integration as well as integration through other means, uh, and budget is part of them. So that's why you, you can't exclude uh, the, the budget because this would be perceived as being one-sided. I basically give you access, I mean, think of, uh, of Poland. You would be telling Poland, uh, I want to keep access to your market, but I don't want to give your workers access to my labor market, and I don't want to pay into the budget that finances your catching up. That would be completely unacceptable from the Polish point of view. So that's why this has to be part of the discussion. Yes. When you say that in the long run, your ideas may be more acceptable, I think you're right. Certainly in Britain at the moment, very much we have politics to the fore. Uh, many people believe that leaving the EU is cost-free economically. But with the pound having lost 18% of its value since the referendum, there is perhaps a growing realisation that uh, the business world is going to take a hit from Brexit. And the more this realisation seeps through to public opinion, the perhaps the more open the British government could be to some of your ideas, but I would suspect that really we need to wait quite a long time before the EU27 see the benefits of allowing the British to have some of their cake and eat it, because at the moment they think, perhaps rightly, that the real losers of Brexit will be the British themselves and that they don't face any great cost, and which is perhaps true relative to the British, but probably you would say and I would say there will be some cost to the 27 as well. Perhaps in the long run, when the British are more separated from the EU and seeing the economic downside, and when our partners appreciate the downside of that too, then we may be able to build some of the 
some of the concentric circles that you put forward in your paper. But let me finish by asking you something about the Eurozone, because implicit in your paper is the idea that the Eurozone countries need to integrate further on their own, surrounded by this outer tier, this second rim of associated states like Britain, Norway, Switzerland and Ukraine and Turkey. Uh, did, how much more integration do you think the Eurozone uh, is either requires or is actually likely to, to see in the next few years? The, the discussion on, on the further integration of the Eurozone has not developed much in recent times. I mean, after the crisis abated, uh, basically the discussion essentially stopped. Uh, there were some blueprints put forward by the, the Commission, but with little traction. Um, eventually, these discussions have to have to resume, and perhaps sooner rather than, than later. Uh, there are various possible models for uh, Eurozone integration, uh, from relatively decentralized to more centralized models with the Eurozone budget, for example, or uh, uh, some you know, more policy uh, in integration. Um, this is a discussion that uh, must take place, but I don't think we should consider the Eurozone uh, state is, is stable as it is uh, at present. So, so this has to be also in the time frame we, we're discussing, so the two years for the Article 50 and the longer term uh, for the interim agreement, etc., the Eurozone is bound to, to move. Right, a very final question. I don't want to embarrass you too much as a member of, the, well, not a member of the French government, but as somebody who works for a think tank that's part of the French government. But many people in Britain assume that after the next French presidential election in May, there could be a shift of policy towards Brexit or indeed towards other things such as the Eurozone. If I could ask you to be purely analytical as a, as a thinker, do you think it is likely that uh, with a new president installed in the Elysee, the French view of Brexit could shift to be rather less tough than it is now? Indeed, could it shift towards the future of the Eurozone as well? I think there is strong consensus in, in France on the, on the stance at present. I mean, there, there are not many voices, for example, that support the view we put forward in our, our paper. Uh, so I think you shouldn't bet on a major evolution of, uh, of French views. Now, evidently, a new, a new president, a new administration will have a longer term perspective uh, would think about uh, the upcoming negotiation or and and the longer term, you know, with a five-year horizon, uh, that may change things in the the sort of you know way uh, different steps are envisaged. Okay, Jean Pisani Ferry, thank you very much for talking about the new Bruegel paper and other things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. You can find more on our website, cer.org.uk, or follow us on Twitter at CER underscore London. <laughs>